A new year and new topics to explore on the Technology Today podcast. We're jumping into 2024 with the creative, innovative Project Z, an initiative using the SWRI campus as a test ground for clean energy technologies. The Project Z team is bringing their A-game to examine zero emissions solutions. That's next on this episode of Technology Today. We live with technology, science, engineering, and the results of innovative research every day. Now, let's understand it better. You're listening to the Technology Today podcast, presented by Southwest Research Institute. From deep sea to deep space, we develop solutions to benefit humankind. Transcript and photos for this episode and all episodes are available at podcast.swri.org. Share the podcast and hit that subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform. Happy New Year and welcome to Technology Today. I'm Lisa Benya. We're kicking off the year with an important initiative known as Project Z. The Z stands for Zero Emissions. And what this project uncovers could help the United States reach critical emissions goals. SWRI researchers are evaluating the Institute's energy demand and using the campus as a test ground for clean energy technologies. Our guest today is Project Z Project manager and SWRI engineer, Josh Schmidt. Thanks for joining us, Josh. Thank you. All right, Josh. So let's start with an overview of this really innovative, creative project. What is Project Z? How do you describe it? Project Z is taking a look at our campus uh, power usage and examining what uh, kinds of um, demand we have on the grid. Our current provider is CPS Energy, but uh, we're taking a look at what it would take to generate power on site. And um, in the process of doing that, we want to make sure that we are reducing our uh, footprints and uh, reducing our emissions that come from uh, uh, power production. And so we're looking at all sorts of different technologies and how they would apply to us. So let's break that down a little bit further. So you're looking at the Institute's power demand. How are you doing that? How are you analyzing the the trends here on campus? Yeah, so we have a substation that connects us to the grid. It's on the south side of campus. If you drive by that area, you'll see this big substation with power lines coming in. That is our primary feed. We have a few other feeds um, and we were able to work with CPS Energy and get our meter data for uh, many years past. So we have historical data on what we uh, consume for power on a 15-minute time basis. We were able to characterize it and kind of look at what was interesting is we also had it passed through when there were shutdowns of the pandemic. And so we we're kind of also able to look at what uh, the impact there might be and where, where we think the power is being used and stuff like that. Okay, so let's take it back to the beginning. Who came up with this idea to use the SWRI campus as a test ground, and how did it come to be? So this was the idea of uh, Director Tim Allison, who is the director of the machinery department, and um, he wanted to take a look at our campus. He took the idea to Walt Downing uh, through the IR&D program to see if we could spend some time uh, characterizing it, looking at some of the uh, regulatory factors, uh, looking at uh, emerging technologies and how us as a research and development uh, institution could come in and and 
uh, develop some of these technologies uh, that need to be developed at our scales, um, we think that uh, this was a, a good opportunity to to do it on our site because we're starting to see some requirements coming in uh, in some commercial contracts that have uh, emissions reductions requirements and also in um, some of the larger federal programs where, you know, say there was something that was coming up that was, say, an energy storage technology, we might have been in, uh, required to already have a facility on campus. Um, so since we don't have any sort of power generation on campus currently, this meant either we go try to find a commercial entity that may not be yet interested in that, or we just do it ourselves, and uh, we see an opportunity there to become uh, a test bed for some of these larger systems. So how was that received initially? Was there some pushback? It's been largely received well. I think a lot of people are interested in it. Um, uh, renewable energy is cheap. It's just not always available. Um, and so the lowering price tag is is an incentive for sure because renewable energy does reduce your power, but it, since you can't always match up when the sun is shining to when you need the power, that starts to become an interesting R&D issue around how do you ensure reliability of the system so that uh, power demand is met uh, when you've got intermittent things like renewables. And what's cool about that is it's just, this is a problem that isn't just gonna you know, affect Surrey when we try to do it on our campus. This is a, a global problem that uh, is always at the forefront of everybody's discussion around renewables is how do you take something that you can't really control when it's happening and and provide power when people need it. Um, so it's it's even the research on our little test uh, example uh, is very useful to the broader community, the academic community, the, the industry. And I think uh, we're going to have a lot of good publications from this because people are curious to see what happened when we analyzed it. All right. So we're going to get into what strategies you're testing in a bit. And you did touch on this a little bit, but what is the motivation for exploring net zero emission strategies? You said this is not just about SWRI. This is global. So what are you aiming to accomplish? Yeah. So, uh, you know, traditional forms of generation do have emissions. Uh, there are externalities that uh, come from those emissions. Since we're currently not a generator, all of those are the responsibility of our utility currently. Um, but, you know, in our discussions with CPS Energy, they've got their eye on these technologies. They want to also reduce their emissions. Um, and they have had tours and visits with us where we've shown off some of our, our current work. And they would like to see some of these uh, emerging technologies become uh, you know, mainstream and become useful enough for a utility to rely on them and pr provide power reliably to uh, to others. 2035 comes up a lot in different target dates for people's emissions reductions. Um, 2050 is a big one as well. Um, and it just kind of depends on, you know, how aggressive these companies are wanting to be with it. Uh, we've gotten inquiries of companies looking to do this, uh, not just for power, but also industrial heat and other things. And um, these kind of aggressive targets, uh, currently, it just doesn't seem like there's enough uh, push for R&D to, to meet that demand. And so there's this big swelling of energy around 
trying to find the thing, the technology, whether it's a battery or uh, electrified heat or hydrogen that uh, can actually even achieve this because it's just such a massive shift in the way things have been done for a while. Okay, so let's talk about this goal to have a net zero emissions economy by 2050. What does that mean and how do we get there? <laughs> uh, it's kind of the big questions. Um, I think how we get there is starting to, to for us specifically, putting renewables in the ground. Um, there is a certain point where you haven't, with how much power you use, you've put in enough renewables to cover a good chunk of that power. And um, just without having to worry about uh, shifting, you know, power produced by the renewables to the night, if it's the sun or something like that, um, you can do that at small enough amounts, but that'll only get you so far. And uh, our research has shown that it's somewhere around 40 to 45% of your power uh, that you need for the whole year could be provided by renewables before you start running into that mismatch issue. So I think just if you're trying to hit 45% as quickly as possible, uh, build out build out your renewables. And for us, that the best thing is um, solar. Now, solar, I mean, I don't have a good timeline on how long this is going to take, but these projects uh, can't be too more than a f too much more than a few years. Um, so we're we're doing our this year. We're planning to do our uh, studies into what new uh, power connections, what land, and things like that. We're going to actually try to start building a solar farm on Square campus. Um, we already have solar that is it's not ours though, but we, there is a solar farm that people know about that's south of Commerce. That's actually a CPS uh, owned uh, facility. We own the land, they, CPS uh, owns and operates the solar. Uh, we have some agreements with them to use some of that power and parts of it to do uh, battery energy storage. So we, we've already got this history of studying things like lithium ion battery for power. Uh, I believe there's a division three uh, facility over there. Um, but uh, we're talking about going bigger than that and uh, starting, I think at the five megawatt scale um, of solar. And then, like I said, as we push that up and up and up, uh, we will be getting to the need for things like storage, which battery is a commonly known one, but there are others. Um, so pushing beyond that 45% um, into deep into like the 60s, 70s and 80s, we'll definitely be needing batteries to do that or, or some other form of energy storage. So, okay, so let's recap this idea of net zero emissions. We've talked about it on the podcast before. Maybe some of our regular listeners uh, might recall those episodes. But, um, you know, it's been a while and um, everyone might still be a little bit in the holiday haze. So let's talk about what net zero emissions means and why it's so important. Yeah, um, net zero means that for the power you use, the amount of emissions that were uh, emitted into the actual gets into the atmosphere is neutral. Um, there is some true zero initiatives out there for people who don't want to produce any carbon at all from from their power use. Um, this is this is not going for that uh, because we do want to leave carbon capture as an option. So carbon capture is a good example for net zero. Net zero, you know, if you produce power from the sun with solar. That's easy. There's no emissions from solar. Um, but if you are burning fuels, 
and uh, the, that carbon is coming out of the back end of your, your engine. Um, in order to make sure that you're net zero, you need to capture as much carbon that's coming out the back end as the, when in the front end uh, to inject the fuel. So net zero in that case means that carb, the carbon that came in is balanced with the carbon that goes into storage, disposal, and is prevented from going into the atmosphere. What makes Southwest Research Institute an ideal testbed for zero emissions technology? I think that's what SWRI likes to do is take these these ideas and concepts that are uh, proven maybe at a lab or a university or at a small scale and bring them into a much larger scale that can be useful to industry um, and utilities and things like that. Um, so we see ourselves, we've always, especially for me being a power generation uh, as that's kind of the area I work in, we always seen ourselves as the bridge between the small scale and the big scale at SWRI. And uh, the, uh, the, the we've seen these opportunities. What, one of the reasons we think this is a good uh, fit for us is we've seen these opportunities come in that are federally funded grants. Um, you know, they call them demonstrations. So usually they have a cost share requirement in them. But if we work with a... Uh, a company that has this idea is willing to to you know help pay for the uh, the demonstration of it at a scale that affects that is about where we want to be, which um, we're able to say about how much power we use. It's between ten and twenty megawatts uh, of power. So a utility is often uh, you know hundred megawatts or more. So scale of ten to five more than what we use. However, 10 to 20 megawatts is not <laughs> easy to do on its own. And so since we kind of have more experience at that scale, we can help them show off the technology, prove that it works, get hours uh, running that technology, and then it will be ready to uh, go to the utility and say, hey, for our first utility scale thing, we've got all this data from uh, SWRI that um, can help us uh, run it for you. And that's where we see our, our role there. So I wanted to pull up. So I wanted to mention that there was a Project Z article in the Summer 2023 Technology Today magazine, which is the sister magazine to this podcast. Um, so we did get into how much research we as an institute um Conduct. So Southwest Research Institute conducts more than 4,000 research and development projects every year in more than 2 million square feet of offices, laboratories, and special facilities here at the San Antonio campus. So you mentioned this research is consuming 10 to 20 megawatts. We're more like 120,000 megawatt okay. hours per year. 120,000 megawatt hours megawatt per year. hours per year. How that profile goes right is in the summer, we get as high as like, we need 20 megawatts all at once. That's like our max power requirement. And then in the winter, it kind of comes down and it gets closer to 10. And that's kind of the boundaries we, we play between. All right. So that's a significant amount of power to use as your research, your test ground. Um can you put megawatt into perspective for us? How much electricity is a megawatt? Yeah, it is a little hard to wrap your head around. Uh, homes, you know, use a decent amount of power that's in the kilowatt scale. I think what we said was it's um, a megawatt. One megawatt is about 750 homes. Um, 
using you know that running their ac at, at once because ac is kind of the biggest thing a home does um i also thought a few others because uh we like our fast cars i think a tesla model three and this goes to the testament of how much power is running the, through those things is you would have uh those accelerating at max speed max power output of their car um you would have about four of those or maybe like three uh f-150 lightnings the electric uh, truck just you know pedal to the metal full power that's what they're putting out that's a megawatt a megawatt yeah okay that's a great picture for us to understand the amount of power we're talking about so this is beyond a family home <laughs> this is well, that's one and then we do 10 on like kind of a winter and that's low for us and then 20 is our max in the summer uh of those yeah all right okay so um we're using a lot of power here at Southwest Research Institute to conduct our research and development work. And why not use this institute as a, a, a test bed to find better ways to power our work? So I think that is a really smart way to, to conduct research, especially in this area. So tell us about developing what you're calling a flexible, configurable analysis tool for Project Z. What is that tool and how does it work? Yeah, so um, we use Python code to develop this tool. Um, what the idea was is since we have all this data and uh, there's a profile of data that of power we need, and then there's the profile of potential solar energy coming in, and then maybe that solar energy, you know, doesn't match. We need to take all these different um, profiles, mash them together, and try to figure out how to meet our demand perfectly, because that's the goal. Our goal here is to create a system that we don't even think about. I mean, the people who will operate it will, because we will need people to operate some of these systems. Um, but in general, all the people running it won't really notice a big at, you're doing your day-to-day -day at Southwest Research Institute, you won't notice the fact that we're uh, different from the utility because we expect the utility to always provide us power when we ask for it. So we use this flexible tool to uh, make sure that the systems that we're designing around can meet those power demands. And then that's when you start getting that point where you start building more solar than you need because, like I said, you only get to about 45% um with just solar so you start building more solar that well there's too much sun during the middle of the day but we need that power at a different time of the day and we start charging our battery so this is this uh, flexible tool can plug in these different system types and start telling you okay we turned on the battery to soak up some solar so that we could have the battery provide us power later um in the day so it does all those kind of flexible calculations, including, like I said, mixing in um, a fossil generation with carbon capture. So that's also part of the one of the pieces that can be plugged in. And you can plug in as many of those pieces as you want to this tool, and it will tell you, okay, this is how much that one operated. This is how much the other one operated. And you can start to build, which was what was really an important ultimate goal, and it's built into the tool, is a cost estimate. Um, what does it take to build? What does it take to operate if you spread out or sort of, you know, do the proper accounting on how much you spend to build this thing at the beginning? Did you make your money back over the 30 year life of it? You know, doing stuff that accounting departments are typically used to seeing 
to help make decisions as, is it worth investing in this particular piece of technology? Um, and that really helps like the executives and, and other people decide, you know, do we move forward with this one or do we move forward with that one? Okay, and I'm interested to find out uh, what technology is getting ahead here with the with the help of that tool. Um, but l first, let's talk about uh, the the strategies that are being tested. You did you have touched on solar and some others, but let's really dive into them. What net zero emissions technologies are being tested here? Yeah, so we did look briefly into wind and things like that. We have some height limitations for our campus, so those didn't really work out. So in terms of making power on campus um, from a renewable source, the sun with uh, photovoltaic is the name of the particular type of solar. This is the type of solar you see on people's houses usually. That field uh, south of commerce that CPS owns is photovoltaic as well. There's other flavors of that, but again, they wouldn't work too well. So best option for us, it's affordable, it's um, reliable, and like I said, it'll get you to a certain point. I mean, getting to close to half of your emissions taken out by just installing a bunch of those um, is great, and we should do that. Uh, so then after that point, you can do lithium-ion battery. Uh, and there's a few other technologies. I'm actually um, project manager on working with some uh, commercial entities that are, are developing these um, that are like thermal-based uh, storage, where you get something really hot and you store that heat and then you can use that heat to run a heat engine, which is just kind of an engineer way of saying anything that uses heat to produce power, like a gas turbine or a piston gen set or some of these other um, varieties of, of engine. But um, basically the storage happens by making the heat and then the produ production of power comes by using that heat uh, when you need it. Um, and then uh, carbon capture is an interesting one because we already can get fuels. There's plenty of fuels out there. So the trick is once the fuel burns and the carbon is produced, how do we get that out of the air? So there's various different technologies to get that out of the, the exhaust coming off the engine. Um, and we will, we do think we will need those to be part of our mix because the nice thing about uh, carbon captured technologies is um, it's not charging like a battery does. It is on demand whenever you need it. And it really is kind of the best solution for the winter when uh, the sun hasn't been shining as much. You may have noticed the days are pretty short uh, in the winter. So that re resource is shrinking. You know, you're trying to charge your batteries, but maybe you're just not getting enough energy out of it. Burn a fuel, make sure the carbon is not emitted from that fuel. It's a, you know, it's a bit of a cost, but that's usually offset. The government now is offering carbon capture credits for making sure that the carbon that comes out of your fuel you're burning does not go into the air. So um, that is also a system that uh, we think could be part of this mix. And that system being in there uh, could be the, the ultimate path to true net zero, because just trying to get solar to be big enough with a big enough battery and doing all those things, it gets you so close to 100. I mean, you're in the 90 to 95% of your carbon emissions to zero, but that last 5%, it's tough. It's because the winters, you know, you don't, you just don't get enough sun that you're trying, you're trying to get that sun to do the work for you. And if you can just run a system, but make sure that system's decarbonized, not emitting its carbon, uh, that that's the way to get to zero. Okay, are we also looking at hydrogen solutions? 
Correct. Uh, hydrogen is an interesting one because it can be a fuel. So like all these things I was saying about fuels, it has that advantage. So if we really wanted to, we could buy it from someone else. Uh, the problem is it's much more expensive than <laughs> natural gas and carbonized fuels, partly because these fuels with carbon in them have been the standard for so long. So it's possible. It's a bit of a bit more of a risky play because it's possible that hydrogen become the new standard and it'll go down in prices. More people start to use it. Um, we can also make it on site if we want to, and that's usually done with electrolysis. Um, we would take the solar energy and run it through an electrolyzer that splits water. So water has hydrogen and oxygen in it. And uh, with enough power, you can pull those two um, molecules apart and make hydrogen gas and oxygen gas, and then store that hydrogen gas and use it in your uh, power generating engine. And it's clean. It burns clean. There's no CO2 in it because there's no carbon. So you just get water out the back end. Um, you could also do it with fuel cells. We have fuel cell research on campus. Uh, I think it's a little more automotive fuel cell car type focused, but it can be done at a large enough scale where you're producing campus power uh, through a fuel cell, which again, very similar um, a result as burning the hydrogen, but it's a, it's a little bit more like a reverse battery where the hydrogen and oxygen are come back together and you get electric uh, out and water out and that's it. There's no carbon emissions from, from hydrogen. Okay, a lot of tools here being studied. Um, so you're, you mentioned solar, battery, thermal-based, carbon capture, hydrogen, so many things to look at. What phase is the research in now? Am I going to be recording this podcast uh, with zero emissions soon? Will this be a zero emissions podcast at some point? Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, I wish. Soon? Uh, <laughs> The road to zero emissions is going to be kind of a long one. I mean, people have got these goals for 2035 and 2050. Um, uh, the current work right now, like I said, is to do our first uh, engineering study of, of solar uh, being installed for campus. And so if you want to say not that you're a zero emission podcast, but a 50% emission podcast, we may actually be there fairly soon. Ah, I like uh, that. In the next few years. <laughs> Um, the full zero, you know, part of our strategy is to be an R&D house. So some of these technologies that aren't ready yet, we're going to be proving out. So getting to full zero is a little dependent on our own skill, right? Like, uh, how good are we at, at uh, bringing these technologies into a reality? Um, so that's kind of a, an open question. I mean, uh, we, we'd hope to try to meet some of these, uh, these timelines that um, you know, the, the big organizations and governments are putting out like 2050. I think that would be great. Um, but yeah, hopefully, hopefully we can keep things rolling. Yeah. So I record here on campus. So whatever, however, the campus is powered is how the podcast is powered. So that'll be neat to see where we're at um, in a few years or down the road. Uh, but do you know yet what's working, what's not working with all these strategies, uh, juggling all these strategies and looking at all the data coming in? Uh, do you know yet who, who are I know you mentioned solar, that's the big standout, but are there others? Yeah, um, I do think wind is a good option. It just depends where the wind is, and that's not great for San Antonio. I mean, there's a few windy days, but you hope for more than a few. Um, there is one that's out there that I haven't mentioned yet called geothermal. And what that is, is you use um, 
Uh, you send something down into the ground to get it warmed up, brings back the heat out of the ground. It's usually steam. Usually you send water down there, it makes steam. And then you use that steam to run your engines. And what are the standouts for SWRI in particular? What are the best ways to power the campus? Yeah, I think uh, I think solar is a great one. Um, and, you know, maybe we, we start, I think an all of the above approach is actually great. Uh, we talked about carbon capture. Geothermal would be a good one that would slot in the way carbon capture does. Uh, and uh, energy storage, uh, we have a lot of research already on grid scale batteries. So working with those teams that have already been studying what it means to have a battery as an actual, you know, way to suck up some extra solar power to provide it at a different time of the day uh, would be great. And there's other options. There's a lot of new new market type options like um, thermal energy storage, as I mentioned before, that are promising to be cheaper as well. So what we're hoping is, you know, part of this R&D, we get a system that we can use ourselves because uh, a lot of the time we build a system for someone and hand it over and they take it off somewhere else. So we're also making sure we're building partnerships where they might be interested in in us being that permanent home for that that system. Okay, so the last phase of Project Z wrapped up in early December 2023, uh, but Project Z is ongoing. So you're still tracking the power usage of the Institute through 2024, and then you're wanting to install more solar. What do you want to accomplish long term, maybe a Project Z pilot plant of some sort or beyond that? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I think the long term is, you know, once you've got the space set aside for the solar and things like that, leave some room there for a facility, start building in things like storage, things like carbon capture that will um, ultimately do our planning right, get us to zero. I mean, that would just be really amazing to see the campus as this uh, model for net zero emissions. So I know you, you're not sure of the timeline, but what's your what's your goal for something like that to to happen? Well, I do think 2050 is a good goal. I mean, that seems a f- bit far out at this point because it's 25 years from now, but especially some of these things to get that, like I mentioned, um, 45 may happen quick. Uh, 80 to 90 percent may come fairly quickly after that and the you know 2040 range but getting that last zero like getting that getting all those little bits uh, dotted and making sure your um, true net zero uh, may end up taking that long so takes a little bit more time be, we could be but we're happy to share every, share every milestone and make sure everybody knows how far we've gotten all right we'll be watching so on a personal note, what do you enjoy about this project and your work of working towards zero emissions? Yeah, I for me, the challenge and uh, the thing that you know makes me so interested in it is, you know, uh, just kind of the cutting edge. I mean, we're figuring out stuff that um, everybody's asking questions about. So I <laughs> I appreciate being on this uh, podcast, but, you know, I'll go to a conference, I'll present some of the stuff we've worked on, and it's it really does uh, make a good uh, conversation starter and a way to open up uh, new business opportunities because we're seeing all sorts of companies um, focused on transitioning into this uh, way of thinking of, like, how do we make ourselves net zero? And they're just 
very eager and curious to see what we found. So I think it's great, the attention it's it's getting and, and the conversations it starts. So I imagine this isn't the kind of work you can just leave at the office I would think you you can recognize opportunities to cut emissions often. So are you identifying and implementing greener ways to live day to day? Yeah, that's an interesting question because um, when I was commuting into the office, I actually had already kind of uh, done my own path to zero type thing. I have an electric bike and I was commuting with that. Um, so I would come into campus through my uh, electric bike. And I think I put over 3,000 miles on it. And wow. I think about that now. <laughs> I don't use it quite as much as I used to, but I still do use it. But for especially for commuting, like, man, I, that's 3,000 that were that would have been on my car. And uh, I did it with my bike. Yeah. So that, is that like a is that like a motorcycle or is that use like is that like a car you just charge in your garage? Or? It's kind of. Like, I don't like it being compared to these because people probably have a bad. But you know the the rental bikes they have downtown uh, with the battery uh, on it. Yeah. It's like my own version of that. Okay. Uh, I don't leave it lying around on everybody's yard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like you see them downtown everywhere. My yeah. personal battery-powered, electricity-powered. It's like a scooter or you actually sit on it and Mine's, mine's more like a bike. So it has okay. like a bike yeah. seat and stuff like that. That's so cool. Okay, so an electric bike. That's neat. Yeah, so it sounds like you really care about this. It's it, that you have a, a – you're passionate about it. Would you say that? Yes, Definitely. Yeah. Do you have any tips for our listeners? I always like to ask uh, about becoming greener or living greener. Sure. I mean, yeah, that's a, that's a big question. And it's just kind of, I think, very broadly, just kind of paying attention to your habits. Um, I know it's hard, especially in the summer and, you know, everybody's cranked their AC up because there's no other choice. But maybe look at some of those other times of the year and it's like, you know, did I really need to run that? Or could I have left the windows open? Or the hot water heaters are a base, big source of, of electricity. So either buying a more efficient one or um, just paying, paying attention to, you know, your hot water usage at your home. There's a few small things like that. I mean, I know not everybody's going to want to jump into like an electric car. But if you can, uh, I do recommend electric cars as a big way to, to offset. All right. Well, thank you so much for your insight today, Josh. So, you know, this project is such a strong example of what SWRI is known for, the innovation, collaboration, and solutions that benefit humanity. And I'm looking forward to more Project Z discoveries. And I want to let our listeners know you can read more about Project Z and other SWRI sustainability and decarbonization initiatives in the Summer 2023 Technology Today magazine, The Green issue. We'll leave a link on the episode 63 webpage. So thank you for being here today, Josh. Thank you. And thank you to our listeners for learning along with us today. You can hear all Technology Today episodes and see photos and complete transcripts at podcast.swri.org. Remember to share our podcast and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Want to see what else we're up to? Connect with Southwest Research Institute on Facebook, Instagram, X, formerly Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Check out the Technology Today magazine at technologytoday.swri.org. And now is a great time to become an SWRI problem solver. Visit our career page at swri.jobs. Ian McKinney and Brian Ortiz are the podcast audio engineers and editors. I am producer and host Lisa Pena. Thanks for listening. 